0: If you have your Bible, Hebrews 11, verse number 24. We are making our way through this chapter in Hebrews. I think this is the 17th or 18th message, just in Hebrews chapter 11, and we still have to go all the way to verse number 39. That's because we want you to understand how to walk by faith, not by sight. So it's important for us to realize that the people that the Holy Spirit has chosen to place in the hall of faith are people that exemplify true, saving faith. What does it look like? So as you're turning to Hebrews 11, let me read to you from the book of Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, the first verse. For it says this, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Solomon wants us to understand that Everything that happens is appointed. He wants us to understand that there are no accidents in the world. Only divine appointments. He makes it very clear that every event under the sun happens at a particular time. So you need to know that whatever it is you're going through today, have gone through or will go through, has been designed by God for an appointed time. In other words, God is sovereign. He's in control. He rules over all. And Solomon begins with a very simple beginning, a time to be born and a time to die. So your birthday and your death day are appointed times. Where you were born, when you were born, were all appointed. Your mother was a divine appointment. Your father, a divine appointment. He wants you to understand that when you were born, it was at a particular time. It was a time that God had designed. That's why you are here today. That's why you weren't born in the 1800s. Or the 1500s, or beyond that, you were born at this particular time so you can experience what it is God wants you to experience at this time. And so he begins with the illustration of birth, because in Hebrews 11, we're going to see a couple who has a son, born at the appointed time. He was born at a very dangerous time. In fact, he was born at the most dangerous time in the history of Israel up to that point. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, these words. But as the time of the promise was approaching, again, a very particular time, a time of the promise. What was the promise? The promise was 400 years of Egyptian captivity. So, as you read the text, God wants you to know that everything is a divine appointment. So in Acts 7, verse number 17, it says, But as the time of a promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham... The people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time That Moses was born. It was at a very particular time, a very dangerous time, in which Pharaoh said, the the Israelites are increasing in number, so every woman that gives birth to a child must be thrown into the Nile River. That's the time of Moses' birth. So it was a very dangerous time, needless to say. But other than that, it was a very due time. Not just a dangerous time, but it was a due time. It was time for the bondage to be over. Well, for that to happen, there had to be born a deliverer who would take them out of that bondage. And Moses, in the sovereignty of God, was that deliverer. He would be the one who would move Israel out of bondage and lead them on their journey to the promised land. So he had to be born at the perfect time, at God's appointed time, and it happened to be the most dangerous time in the history of Judaism. Same time, it was due time because God had appointed 400 years of captivity. So, The Bible says these words in the book of Exodus, the 12th chapter, the 25th verse. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as He promised, you shall observe this right. That's not the verse I want. I'm sorry. Which verse did I want? Uh, I forget. Hold on a second. I'm going to get there. What was the verse I did want? Oh, it was so good too. Oh yeah, it was Exodus chapter 12. What am I thinking? Verse number 41. I knew I had it right. Okay, verse number 41. At, and at the end of 400, listen, and 30 years to the very day all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Say, wait a minute. I thought you said it was going to be four generations. I thought you said it was going to be 400 years. That's what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham passed that down to Isaac, Isaac down to Jacob, Jacob down to Joseph. Joseph knew it was going to be 400 years. That's why I said, you got to take my bones out of here when that happens and take me to the promised land. But why does it say now at 430 years? At the precise time? That's easy. Because when Joseph died, Israel was not in affliction. They weren't in affliction till there was another king that arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph. So, 30 years later, there arose a king, and that king, that Pharaoh, he enslaved them, and they were there for 400 years. So, 430 years to the precise day, everything happened on God's time. So, it was at a due time, it was at a dangerous time that this man, Moses, was born. That should do all of our hearts good today, because you were born at a precise time. It wasn't by accident the year and the day that you were born. Because there is an event, there is a time for everything appointed under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. The Bible tells us these words in the book of Romans, chapter five, verse number six. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In due time. Paul said it this way in Galatians 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth a son born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. So when everything had transpired that was at that perfect time, Christ was born and Christ would die in due time. The perfect time. So in other words, there are no accidents in your life. There are none. We say they are accidents, but they are divine appointments because God's in charge. And when you come to Hebrews 11, verse number 24, you see that played out in the life of Moses and his parents. Now Moses had two older siblings, Miriam who's probably somewhere between the ages of 10 and 13, maybe 14, and Aaron. We know from the book of Exodus, the seventh chapter, that he is three years older than Moses. So we know that when he's born, Aaron is three. Miriam is the the oldest one. And then there is Moses. So the Bible says in Hebrews 11, These words, very clearly, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. That verse, on its own, tells us so much about how to raise your children. How to raise a godly seed. Now remember... In Hebrews 11, there's more said about Moses and Abraham than anybody else in the chapter. Abraham, he is the father of the nation. Moses, he's the emancipator of the nation. And yet it was Moses whose parents are mentioned, specifically. doesn't give us their names. We know that Amram was the father whose name means exalted nation. His mother's name was Jacobed whose name means Jehovah is her glory. Very important in understanding the story because she was all about the glory of God, all about the honor of God, the praise of God. And Amram was all about exalting the nation above himself because he wanted to live for the honor and glory of the Lord. Now, not every parent, not every family was this way. We'll see this in a moment. But the parents of Moses, this is how they were. And they'd be used in a very powerful, powerful way. His parents become the example of faith. In my prayer for you and for me as parents, that we would exemplify true faith to our children. Remember, we've defined faith for you at least 17 different times because we've had 17 different messages. All the same way. Faith is believing absolutely in what God says and behaving accordingly to all that God says. That's all that faith is. It's trusting obedience. It believes absolutely in the word of the Lord. And then it behaves accordingly. If you don't behave according to what the word says, that's not faith. Faith is taking what God says at face value because he said it. You believe it and you act accordingly. And that's what the parents of Moses did. That's what everybody in the hall of faith did do. And so my prayer for you and for me is that we'd understand how to live by faith. Because Moses, his parents lived by faith In an era of great anxiety, great complexity, great tragedy, great difficulty, unlike you and me today, no one's telling you, you got to take your child, if he's born a male, and throw him in the LA River or throw him in the Pacific Ocean. No one's telling you to do that, but it was for them. Very dangerous time, but it was the proper time, the perfect time for the deliverer to be born. God has a plan. It's moving right on course. It can't be thwarted. So Moses was born at the right time. Like John the Baptist. He was born at the right time. He was the forerunner to the Messiah, right? So he had to be born at the perfect time to set the tone for the Messiah who would follow him and preach the same message that John the Baptist preached. God's in... Total control of all that happens. So let's look at the parents of faith. Then we're going to see the practice of faith. Then the product of faith and the prize for faith. Just four simple points. First of all, the parents of faith. By faith, the parents of Moses hit him for three months. By faith. So important. Because there were other parents who did not have this kind of faith. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 20. God is rehearsing Israel's history. And the Lord says, make them know the abominations of their fathers. Ezekiel, you got to let them know this. They have to understand this. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel and swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob, and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, When I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God, on that day I swore to them to bring them out from the land of Egypt into a land that I had selected for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. I said to them, cast away each of you the detestable things of his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me, they did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. In other words, there were many parents in Egypt who were committed to idolatry. These are Jewish people. And they were ingrained into the Egyptian culture. They began to worship the idols of Egypt. So much so that when they were finally emancipated, And they went into the wilderness, and they were so upset because Moses was on top of Mount Sinai, they wanted Aaron to make for them a God that they could see. Remember that golden calf? They they needed to have a God they could touch, a God they could see. And now God was a representative of their God, Jehovah. But they needed someone to see because in Egypt they could see the gods. It became so a part of their lives that that's how they wanted to live. But it's all because they were committed to idolatry, to abominating their walk with the Lord. And then there were the parents of Moses. People who walked by faith, not by sight. They wanted to honor and live for the true and living God. They didn't begin to walk by faith when Jochebed became pregnant with Moses. No, this was habitual to them. This was their life. They lived this life. They, they had taken time to understand that somewhere in Egypt would lie the bones of Joseph. Remember last week's message? And maybe they would take a journey, maybe a walk in the evening every day, pass The memorial of Joseph's bones to remember the power of God, the presence of God, the promises of God, the perfection of God, the precepts of God, the plan of God, the purposes of God, all there in the bones of Joseph. And they would walk by them remembering that 400 years, 400 years, and it's over. And we go to the land of promise. And they lived in anticipation of that because they knew that their time was near. Their time in bondage was coming to an end. So they make their journey past those bones, believing in what God had said, because they trusted absolutely in the promises of the living God. So they walked by faith. They did not walk by sight. And their faith was dependent upon God, no matter what the circumstances. It wasn't that all of a sudden, the king of The pharaoh of Egypt comes up with this plan, and they're like, oh, now, what do we do now? And it wasn't like, listen, it wasn't like the fact that they could go down to the local clinic, have a sonogram, and realize what they're having. It's going to be a girl. Boy, so glad it's going to be a girl. Easy to walk by faith if it's a girl, right? But it's a boy. Oh, no, now what are we going to do? They live in anxiety for how many months? Having seen the picture on the screen before them. No, they didn't have that. They had to wait to the birth of the child. They had to actually wait nine months to figure out the birth of the child. There was no gender reveal before the birth. And then at the birth, they weren't quite sure there would be a gender reveal. Because if it was a boy, boy, what would you say? What would you celebrate? Right? So they had to wait. She gives birth. It's a boy. Did they panic? Did they worry? Did they live in fear? Nah. Not Amram and Jacobed. It tells us they didn't fear the King's Edict. The King's Edict meant nothing to them. Because they served the king of kings. They knew who the Lord God of Israel was. So by faith, they lived. In other words, they lived based on all that God has said. And here's the great thing. They could not read the Bible. There was no Bible. So they live based on what had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. You and me, we open our Bible, we read it. We can read about Israel's history. We can read about the Gospels, Christ and the Gospels. We can read all this stuff and realize, wow, man, this is great. God wants us to live by faith. This is wonderful. But Abraham and Jacobed had nothing to read. But had been passed down. And they believed absolutely. See, that, that, there's no excuse for us not to believe. There's no excuse for us not to behave according to what it is we believe because we have it all before us. We have the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God right here in our hands. There, you are without excuse. We could go back and say, well, maybe Israel lived in idolatry because they didn't have a Bible to read, and after all, maybe they didn't hear everything that everybody else heard, and so maybe we can see a little bit how they would move toward idol worship. Still, no excuse. But you can almost excuse them from a distance because they don't have what we have. They would say of us, if they could look into the future, ah, there's absolutely no excuse for those people in the 21st century. Because they have it all written down before them. So here they were, living a life of faith because... They truly believed in their God. They knew God. They knew God. How many times have we quoted to you Daniel 11.32 on Wednesday nights? Those who know their God display strength, take action. Mo uh, Amram and Jacobed displayed strength, took action. Why? They knew God. There's no excuse not to. To display strength and take action. Unless you don't know God. Because if you know him. The byproduct of that is strength and action. And that's what Amram and Jacobed did. That's how they lived their lives. So the challenge before them. Was to trust the true and living God. For all that he was going to do. Now story in Exodus is all about Jochebed. Summation of the story in Hebrews is about the parents of Moses. That tells us that both were unified in their faith. That means that Amram would have to be involved in leading his wife in the realm of faith, leading her toward godliness, and she partnering with him in that godly pursuit. They both lived a life of faith, not just Jochebed, but Amram and Jochebed, although Amram is not mentioned in Exodus chapter 2 when it comes to the birth of Moses. But both of them were unified. Both of them believed. Both of them had absolutely no fear of the king's edict. And not one person in this room today has faced an edict like that. That means you have no excuse to ever fear anything. Because you've never faced anything like Amram and Jacobet. We should be ashamed of ourselves if we fear something. Less than this. Because that would mean that my faith is as... Not as strong as I thought it was. And I need to know my God all the more. Greater he, is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And fearing God is absolutely paramount in the life of the believer. Now you will notice the faith of mom and dad was the exact same faith that Moses would demonstrate. And next week you're gonna see that Moses never feared the king of Egypt. If you want your parent, your children to be strong parents, you've got to be strong. You want your children to live without fear, you've got to live without fear. Remember. I've told you a hundred times what your parents do in moderation, your children will do in excess, good or bad, right? And so you want to model to them no fear. You want to model to them nothing but faith so that they in turn can see the faith model before them. That's why Paul says to Timothy, be thou an example in your faith, your love, your speech, your purity, your conduct, but in your faith, the way you trust the living God so others can see that. The godly woman of 1 Timothy 2.15, if she continues in faith, love, sanctity, and discretion, she lives a life of faith. She raises a godly seed. That's what you want to do. That's the parents of Moses. Next is the practice of faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now, why did, they, why did they hide him? Because God said so. By faith, what? Faith is believing in what God has already said. So, by faith, God had told them to hide their son. And they did it for three months. Now, think about that. How do you hide a child for three months? They're going to cry. Right? They're going to be hungry. They need to be taken care of. They need to be changed. They need to be bathed. But you got to keep the child quiet. So no one can hear him. Because if the king finds out, he's going to the Nile River. So they had to hide him. Now text says this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. So you think, well, he he was beautiful. He was cute. He was handsome. Of course we're going to hide our child. We'd love the way he looks. Listen, every parent thinks their child is cute. I've never met a parent who didn't think that their child was the cutest boy, cutest girl, best-looking baby in the world. Right, and we come up and they introduce him to us, and we're like, Ooh, "Whoa, I'm not so sure." You know what I'm saying? We don't really respond that that way. But we're kind of nice about it, but I mean, after all, the parents—they they love their child, and Riley's soul. But it wasn't the fact that they were sitting back thinking, "Oh, so cute. So Look at that little dimples in his cheek. He's so cute. We're gonna hide him for three months." Oh no, no. Acts says he was a lovely child. In other words, it's a phrase that deals with. God's design for their life. It wasn't how the child looked, but God's special favor toward the child. For instance, Samson had strength. Solomon had wisdom. David was the deliverer when he defeated Goliath. Samuel was was a wise man as a prophet because he had this forward-looking life. They were all special people, special calling for God. In other words, God had in his life a divine approval and a divine calling. And that's how the parents knew. They knew because God had set him aside. And so they're going to follow God. They're going to do what he says. He had been set aside for a specific purpose and so they were able to see what the natural eye could not see. They could see that God was going to use him specifically for his glory. And they trusted God for that. So they would defy the faith or defy the king and live by faith. They practiced their faith because they had understood what God had said. And behaved accordingly. Now there were other parents, according to Acts chapter 7, who killed the children. It says, It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants or put them out to die. Other Parents killed their children. Well, the king said, we got to kill them. So there you go. Into the night you go. Whoop, there you go. Kill the child. King said so. Not Moses' parents. No, they believed in the sanctity of life. They believed in the purity of the life. They believed that God had ordained life. That God was behind life. And God had a plan for every single life, not certain lives. So they protected their child because God had said so. They knew that he was divinely appointed and divinely called. The product of their faith, it says. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid. Listen, the product of faith is simply no fear. How do you know you walk by faith? You fear nothing else. You fear no one else. That's how you know you're walking by faith. You're not afraid of anything or anyone. And Moses, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, as he was writing a reiteration of the law, knowing he was about to die, said these words. He says, you and your sons and your grandsons must Fear the Lord. Chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, verse number 2. Verse number 13. You shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him. Why? Because you shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. He says, I was raised by a family who had other gods around them but didn't worship them. Other families did. When you go into the promised land, you've got to realize that there will be so many pagan gods around you. You cannot worship them. You need to fear only your God because he is a jealous God. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, verse 24, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival. Chapter 8, verse number 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. And all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, he reiterates the fact that you need to fear the Lord your God, walk in His statutes, keep his commandments, but you need to fear the Lord your God. As if he's saying, look, by example, this is how I lived, because by example, this is how my parents lived. This is how you need to live. You need to walk by faith and not by sight. And the product of faith was that they would live without fear. And that fear produced peace. Peace in their lives. Because while every other family, not every other, most every other family, was throwing their two year old or newborn children, boys, into the Nile River and were filled with anxiety, filled with trepidation, feared with all kinds of mixed emotions. Amram and Jacobed, nah. Great peace. Great peace have those who love thy law and nothing causes them to stumble. Psalm 119, 165. They love the law of God. They love what God said. They love it so much. They live in peace. They weren't afraid of the king's edict. The product of faith is great peace. Not only that, great protection. God protected their son for those three months. God protected their lives throughout the whole process, right? God watched over them. Not only that, there was great prudence. Why? Because they had to act wisely. They had to be really wise about what they did with their son. And God would grant them the wisdom to behave properly. And Then when he turned three months old, they realized he was getting too big. So wisdom, in the mind of Jochebed, was to weave this basket put it together, put the child in the basket, put the basket in the Nile. So in essence, they took the baby and put him in the Nile, just in a basket in the Nile, right? And they put him out there where Pharaoh's daughter would come to bathe. Wisdom would tell them the time she came to bathe. Wisdom would tell her her emotional state. Wisdom would tell her what to do with the child, place him there, where to put Miriam so she would be able to see and say to Pharaoh's daughter, hey, I have a Hebrew woman I know that would be glad to nurse your child. Right? Because there were no baby bottles in those days. There was no formula that you could mix up and put together and feed the children. They had to be nursed. And so there was great wisdom behind all they did. Why? Because by faith, by faith, the parents hid Moses. By faith, they saw that he was divinely called and divinely appointed by God. By faith, they did not fear the king's edict. And when you live by faith, the product of that is peace, is prudence, and is protection. God will always protect you because you fear him any anyone else or anything else. And then comes the prize of faith. It's so great because you go back to the book of Exodus. It says these words, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl Miriam went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the women took the child and nursed him. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. What was the prize of faith? The prize of faith was the blessing and opportunity she had to nurse her son and take care of him and teach her son and watch over her son. All on the king's dime. The king paid for it. And Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on the little boy. And that was all ordained by God. So she was called because Miriam was there. I know a Hebrew lady who could nurse the child, take care of him. And so she did. Until he would be adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Now listen carefully. Hebrew Hebrew literature tells us that he would take care of Moses until he was weaned. She would take care of Moses until he was weaned. And Hebrew literature would tell us that's as up to three years of age, maybe four years of age. Egyptian culture teaches us that a child would not be weaned until they were six or seven years of age. So now you have a discrepancy in terms of time. But what do you know? You know that Moses understood the promises of God. In other words, Jochebed did not miss the opportunity. She, did, she knew her time was brief. Three, four, five, six, seven years maybe at the most. So she knew that she didn't have a, a lot of time. But we knew from Egyptian culture that the, the child was not adopted till he was older. So the child would be able to walk and talk and go to the bathroom by himself and all those kind of things. So here was Jochebed nursing this child, training the child, taking the child for walks, taking the child past the bones of Joseph, so we would at least think they were doing that, to reiterate in his mind the promises. Because how did Moses know in Exodus chapter 13 to take the bones of Joseph? Who told him that? How would he know that? Unless someone told him. But who would tell him? His mother his mother would in, inform him of the promises of God. She would inform him of, of what God had planned for her son and, and for the nation. She would instill in him the fact that he was a deliverer. He was divinely appointed by God. He was born at a dangerous time. He was born at, at in, in due time because he was born for the purposes and plans of God. And she would be able to reiterate these things and all the promises that had been passed down for hundreds of years she was reiterating to her son over and over and over again, time is short, so she told him, and he grasped it. he understood it. he had been taught the truth of God she had no no idea we don 't even know if she made it out of bondage or not. We don't know if she died while they were still in bondage. We don't know. We don't know if she saw Miriam rise to a great magician and and prophetess. We don't know if she saw Aaron rise to the Aaronic priesthood. We don't know if, if she was able to see Moses lead two million disgruntled Jews out of Egyptian bondage. We don't know. We don't know when she died, but she didn't miss the opportunity. You know, so many parents today miss the opportunity. We get so busy with everything else that really doesn't matter, thinking it matters. But the one thing that matters is instill your children the truth of God's holy word, to model them walking by faith and not by sight, showing them exactly what God's word says, and then living accordingly. And the Jesuits, used to say, Give us a child for seven years. And after that, you can take him and do whatever you want. But all we need is seven years. Isn't it ironic that in the Psalm, Psalm 128, the Bible says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Think of Amram and Jochebed who walk in his ways. That's what they did. When you shall eat to the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Vines and olive plants were sim- symbols of, of abundance and blessing in Judaism. And the man who fears the Lord has the pleasure of... Of your wife clinging to you. Listen, if your wife is not hanging all over you, you got a problem. She should be, you know, vines cling and climb, right? Your wife should be clinging onto you, climbing up you every day. If she's not doing that, it's simply because you do not fear the Lord and walk in his ways. You fear the Lord and walk in his ways, your wife is stuck to you like gorilla glue. You know? And she just climbs up your shirt, over your back, down your down your backside, around your ankle. She just can't stop getting her arms off you because she just can't get enough of you. Because you fear the Lord. But your children. Ah. Like olive plants around the tree, around the table. You know what it is about olive plants, right? In the first seven years, nothing really happens. But in the first seven years, everything that's going to happen must be cultivated. So in the first seven years of of olive plants, nothing really takes place. But in year 10 to 15, that's when the fruit begins to produce itself. Based on what you did the first seven years. There's a reason the Holy Spirit uses olive plants as an example for your children and the blessing they bring. Those first seven years are crucial. So crucial that they cannot be substituted with anything or anyone else. You, mother, must be involved in your child's life wholeheartedly, hook, line, sinker. Everything is all about your children those first seven years because they're the most important years. You're investing into the lives of your children because what happens after that is a byproduct of the first seven years. Their personalities develop, their characters develop, all those first seven years. you got to pay attention to this. This is so important. An olive plant, okay, grows best in rocky, hard soil. It doesn't grow best in soft, supple, comfortable soil. Tells you how to raise your kids, right? We want our our kids to rise in a cushy, comfortable environment. (laughs) If that's the case, you're going to have some issues when they get older. Because olive plants grow best in rocky, hard soil. Because it's it's through the discipline of your children. It's through the nurturing of your children. It's through the protection of your children. It's through the working of the things you do with your children that cultivate the ground all around them, that they might grow into the, the evergreen that an olive plant grows into because it's an evergreen. And while it grows, if it's cultivated properly in those first seven years, you go to Israel today, there are olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane that are over 2,000 years old. Why? Because the first commandment with a promise is what? Honor your father and mother, and your life will be long upon the earth. There's great age that comes to the olive plant if cultivated properly. Here was Amram and Jacobet; They didn't know anything about Psalm 128. Wasn't written yet. But they knew that Moses was that divinely appointed child. They knew that they were going to invest into this young boy. And they were going to use whatever it is they knew about God and invest it into him. Because their time was short. At best, they had maybe six or seven years. At the least, three or four years. But whatever it was, they invested into their son. So he would understand it. He would grapple with it. He would come to grips with it. And God would settle it in his soul. So God would use him as the great emancipator of Israel. His parents taught him about Joseph's bones, why they were there, and they needed to go to the promised land because God had called them to go there. So as he grew, he learned because he had two parents, a mother and a father, who walked by faith and not by sight. How about you? What are you doing today to raise the godly seed? Look at Amram and Jacobet and ask yourself, am I following that example? Because if you haven't been, you can start today. Don't think it's over for you. The door is shut. No, the door is never shut. Start today. Go back, ask forgiveness, and begin today living that life before them, honoring God, showing them the way of God. That they might live for His glory. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you, Lord, for today, the opportunity you give us as brief as it is. It's an opportunity for us to be challenged and to grow in our walk with God. I pray for every parent in the room, every mom, use them in a mighty way in the life of their child. Help them understand that the time is short. Yeah, we could have maybe for 18 years, maybe. But what if he only had them for six or seven years? Help them to see that those formative years are crucial to the development of the child. And that, Lord, they would invest deeply and sincerely in the lives of their child and children. And, Father, we pray that God, you would go before us. That no matter what has happened in the past, today's a new day. A new day to live for the glory and honor of God. It's never too late to follow God. It's never too late to serve God. For those who feel like they've failed, encourage them, Lord, that that failure that they perceive could be used as great fruit today for the glory of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.